Welcome to Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm with your host, Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Legal Toolkit podcast here on Legal Talk Network. If you are looking for the lost village of the Smurfs, just look inside your own heart. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, hopefully you become a long-time listener. And if you're Larry Bird, you're probably trying to suppress all those 1980s photos of you wearing short shorts, or at least that's, I think, what Larry Bird's doing right now. As always, I'm your show host, Jared Correa, and in addition to casting this pod, I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, which offers subscription-based law practice management consulting services for law firms, bar associations, and legal vendors. Check us out at redcavelegal.com. I'm also the COO of Gideon Software, Inc., which offers chatbots, a first-to-market chatbot builder, and predictive analytics created specifically for law firms. Find out more at www.gideon.legal. You can also listen to my other, other podcasts. Yes, I have another one. That one's called The Lobby List. It's a family travel show I host with my dear wife, Jessica, on iTunes. In fact, she's away on a cruise right now, leaving me with our two charming children for the week. Subscribe, rate, and comment on that show. Um, It will make these weeks when I have my children solo that much easier. Um, But here on The Legal Toolkit, we provide you with a new tool each episode to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. In this episode, we're going to talk about a really practical subject for lawyers, which is building flat fees that actually work, right? Uh, But before I introduce today's guest, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. Abby Connect has delivered premium live receptionist and answering services to lawyers since 2006. You can try them out for free at abbyconnect.com. Scorpion crushes the standard for law firm online marketing with proven campaign strategies to get attorneys better cases from the internet. Partner with Scorpion to get an award-winning website and ROI-positive marketing programs today. Visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Nexa, formerly known as AnswerOne, is a leading virtual receptionist and answering service provider for law firms. Learn more by giving them a call at 800-267-9371 or online at www.nexa.com. TimeSolve is the number one web-based time and billing software for lawyers, providing solutions since 1999. TimeSolve provides the most comprehensive billing features for law firms big and small. www.timesolve.com. All right, we're back. My guest today is Scott Clayson, the Director of Marketing at TimeSolve, without the E, Prior to that, he was the director of marketing for the National Sports Center in Minnesota. He's also been a teacher. So, Scott, welcome to the big show. Thanks, Jerry. I'm happy to be here. All right. Is that, do you get that a lot where people say time solve without the E? I just wanted to make that clear. Yeah. Because okay. when you're saying it, talking about it, it's not obvious, right? But when right. you see communication from us, but yeah, it, I think goes back to there actually is some other entity that owns the domain name, TimeSolve, the way you would normally spell it, .com, went out of business years ago, and we've reached out numerous times to try to contact them to acquire that domain name and um, have been unsuccessful. So yes, it has been TimeSolve without an E since, since we were born 20 years ago now. No, this is like a real problem. I remember like back in the day, the Rams, the LA Rams, the sports team, 
They couldn't get the URL rams.com because like some dude who really liked rams had a website set up with like pictures of the animals and he would like not sell to the NFL. Well, I, I will tell you, if you ha- if we have time later, I want to get too far off the, the tracks here. but I have a fun- We can go down the rabbit hole a little bit. Go ahead. I have a funny story about the domain name soccer.com. Oh, perfect. Which, Hit as you up. can imagine, is what, you know worth millions of dollars as a domain name. Yes. At, you mentioned I used to work at a facility called the National Sports Center in Minnesota, and mm-hmm. it's the biggest soccer complex in the Western Hemisphere. There's like 52 soccer fields up there. That's crazy. And we, host, we hosted the biggest youth soccer event in the Western Hemisphere every year. It's called USA Cup. It has like a thousand youth soccer teams with a lot of sponsors that obviously want to be associated with that event because of the sheer numbers. So one year, one of our apparel sponsors was soccer.com. And it, Eurosport, I think, is the actual name of the company. And so the guy who came and worked with us, you know, we're chatting during our first introductory meetings. And I said, I have to ask this question. And this was only about maybe six years ago. I said, I have to ask the question, what is soccer.com worth as a domain name? And he just sort of gets this kind of Cheshire grin on his face and says, oh, it's worth about twenty four ninety five a year or whatever we have to pay for it. You know, I mean, <laughs> he tells the story that, you know, soccer.com, they used to be a pure mail order catalog company. And they had a guy, so they were around back in the 70s and 80s doing mail order catalog of soccer gear. And yeah. they had a guy who was in the army, and they're located down in North Carolina, a guy who was in the army in the first Gulf War in the early 90s, came back after the Gulf War, and he said to them, he said, you know, look, we were using this thing in the military that was like, all the computers are connected, it's called the internet, and they have these like names you can buy. I think it's going to be something kind of big. <laughs> so you can register these names. And I think soccer.com. I mean, so they registered it like in 1992 or whatever it was. <laughs> and obviously had the foresight. And he tells the story about their very first online ordering system. It was one page when you went to soccer.com. And essentially it was a page that you printed to fill out your order to then fax back to the company like in 93 or 94 or whatever. So the cyber squatting, all of that is the real thing. That's really fun. I just went to soccer.com now. The website's a little bit nicer than it used to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, that's funny. Like talk about getting in early. And the dude who probably set that up is probably long gone from the company. For I sure. would imagine. <laughs> yeah, no equity in that name. Or it doesn't even know we're having this conversation. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, well, you're a soccer guy, so let me ask you. I've got later questions for you about world history. We're going to save that for the end of the show. All right. In terms of soccer, you're like a soccer guy, so I know people have preferences on this. Like, what's your favorite league? What's your favorite team? And are right. they in that league? <laughs> right, right. Well, kind of yes, kind of no. I mean, I do follow the English Premier League pretty closely, and Tottenham Hotspur are my favorite team. Because at this soccer event that I mentioned that I used to work at, Puma used to be a sponsor as well before Eurosport and soccer.com. And they brought the Tottenham Hotspur youth team to our event years ago before I was ever following English Premier League soccer. So that's how I kind of got to, and they sent their entire, like I was working in the marketing area there and they sent their whole branding guidebook for Tottenham Hotspur. And I had never heard of them before. So I was just really intrigued by them. So they're my favorite team here, but Mm. As well here, I mean, really, my truly my favorite team is Minnesota United in MLS. Oh, all right. You're legit. Well, yeah, they actually train at the facility where I used to work. And they used to be a minor league team back. They were several iterations of this team going back into to the early 90s. And in 2009, they went belly up in the minor leagues. And we, as our organization, as a nonprofit, took over ownership of the team and ran this minor league soccer team for one year in 2010. And I ran the website and helped do the production of our webcasting and so on. And then we handed over controls to what eventually became what is now Minnesota United. So 
I like to feel like there's this beautiful new stadium in St. Paul and, and the team has just done a really great job in branding. They have one of the best logos in all of sports. And I feel oh, like, interesting. Oh, now I want to look at it. I have a little piece of history with that. That team would not be where it was if our organization and the work that we did that one year hadn't happened. The team would have folded and probably wouldn't be MLS in Minnesota. I mean, I still know the general manager. He used to have his office. He's still the general manager. He was the GM back when we ran the team. Still there today. I mean, his office was right next to mine, you know, so I got to know him, talk about his kids. So I have a very personal vested interest in Minnesota United soccer. Oh, that's really cool. So the, yeah. the logo is a loon, right? Yeah. I'm looking at yeah, the right it's logo. A great logo. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I like that a lot. I see. I, I'm going to get eviscerated for this, but I've just never been into soccer. Like, it's not my thing. And I don't understand, like, the whole FC thing. Like, yeah, you know, football club, um, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. I figure that is like a parent anyway, right? It's not like you're the New England Patriots football club necessarily. Well, I think part of it is there, especially over in Europe, there's sporting clubs that are, they're multiple sport clubs. Mm, like, I know in that Mos- makes sense. There's like Moscow, Spar- Barcelona like one of the most famous soccer teams in the world, they have a basketball team. There's a Barcelona professional basketball that team. That makes that's sense. The same. So I think that's where it came from. You know, in the US, we just like to bastardize and try to steal from the Euros and everything. But I'm with you. Soccer was not my thing for, I grew up a traditional American football, baseball, basketball kind of guy. And it's just like kind of grown on me over the years. I love watching soccer now more than I do American football, yeah. uh, which has been like kind of head spinning for me. I feel like now I should say that my son really loves soccer and he scored four goals in his last game. So he was very proud of that. So now he gets the podcast shout out. Um, <laughs> so I think we've done probably enough soccer talk at this point. Right, shall, we, shall, shall we talk legal? Let's do it. All right. So I think this is a really interesting topic. Fixed fees for lawyers. Everybody's been saying for years that the death of the billable hour is coming, right? Since like 99. So why is the billable hour still so entrenched in legal? when everybody's just waiting for it to go away, in theory? I think it really is that fear and tradition. You know, there's that fear that law firms have that they're going to lose money. Lawyers in general, we can all agree, tend to be a little bit more risk adverse than the general populace. And there's a lot of- You don't say. No, I've heard that before. (laughs) Yeah. And technology adverse, perhaps, too, to some degree, right? Yes, yes. Um, And there's just that, I mean, think about traditionally- what do lawyers do when it comes to researching cases? They look for precedent, right? I mean, that's kind of like the backbone of our legal system is what is the previous decided history of this legal matter that I'm looking into to serve as precedent? Well, billing's kind of the same way. Like, what do we look to? What has traditionally been done? Well, we build by the hour. So yeah, there's a lot of talk about it, but I sometimes feel after being in this industry, like I have now for like four years, that There's a lot of people that talk about it, but I think they all talk amongst themselves. And a lot of the rank and file lawyers and law firms really haven't thought long and hard about, should I be changing my way of billing customers from the model that I and my firm and my associates, my partners have known for decades? Right. I think there's like an echo chamber effect to a lot of this as well. Like the people who talk about it are the people who talk about it. Well, let's just dive down a little bit because I think part of it is traditionalism. I think part of it is that the legal uh, field is very provincial in some ways. Um, So what about practical problems that are associated with billing by the hour? Because that's another way to pitch it is that like it is non-traditional, but there are also issues with hourly billing that are hard to overcome or impossible to overcome. So what do you see in terms of law firms, hourly billing and issues with that model? 
Well, the first one, and again, you and I are not going to be breaking new ground on any of this. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, when you read about it, you look about it. I mean, the first thing is the hourly billing model doesn't provide any incentive to be efficient in your work. Right. You know, and that's the the one obvious thing that, you know, hey, I'm going to get paid more if I spend just more time on this task. Of course, I'm going to spend more time on this task. And that trickles down then. And I think we talked just a few seconds ago about technology. I think that's a direct correlation to why I think a lot of the firms have been reluctant to adopt newer technology because technology generally means efficiency. You're going to be able to do things. Think about, you know, the way research is done in the legal field. Every law firm used to have, you know, stacks of the West law books that they had to go and do their research. And now it's just a few <laughs> clicks away, saving them lots of time, which there was probably grumbling when everything became digitized and how you can do your legal research because right. it's efficient. And the other thing too, that it doesn't promote the best use of resources within your firm. A law firm needs to take a look. Is there something that we're charging our partners doing who charges $500 an hour that that same task could be accomplished by a paralegal who charges, you know, 150 or whatever the case may be and not using right. Instead, that partner who charges $500 an hour, they should be doing the high flying, the 30,000 feet kind of like, hey, this is what I'm, you could almost use the equivalent. They're the pilot, right? They're highly skilled in flying a plane. Why are they handing out the peanuts in the back of the plane? They're, you know, it's not an efficient use of the resources you have at hand. Uh, that's a good analogy. Yeah, I've been telling lawyers for years, like practice at the top of your law license, but it's a concept that's hard to get lawyers to buy into. Yeah, right, exactly. And then on the flip side, for the consumers, you have the obvious, again, like when you ask the simple question, how much is this going to cost? And you can't get a straight answer that you know makes you feel very uncomfortable. It's not a billing model that we're all used to, especially if you're in an area of law where you're dealing with people that don't have to interact with legal services very often. They're walking into already feeling slightly uncomfortable. It's like, you know, I just bought a house this summer and it was the first house we bought in like 12 years. And diving into that whole mortgage and title and all of that world, I'm uncomfortable in it because I don't live in it very often. Same thing with legal services. I don't have to dive into legal services very often. So I'm already a little bit uncomfortable with this. And oftentimes, when, especially as an individual consumer, if you have to engage in legal services, there's already a stress level because something's happened that involves the law. That's stressful to begin with. And then you're throwing this extra curveball about, wait a minute, now you're billing me completely different? You know, and again, we're not breaking ground, but the idea is most of us are used to seeing the value for what we're paying for instead of seeing the hours that it took to provide that value. I don't really care how many hours it took. I just want to see the value of what was done. And we'll talk more about that later, I think. No, that's a great point. I think this consumer discussion is fascinating and we'll get to that in more detail in part three of the show. But let's return to this notion of like lawyers being afraid to move to alternative fee structures. Um, one thing that we haven't talked about explicitly is like, I think there's a real fear for lawyers that they will undercharge their right. clients and not value their work appropriately. Because you're right, when it's hourly, if you feel like you haven't valued your work appropriately, you just do more work, add more hours. But if you promise somebody a price, you have to stick to that, right? So how can lawyers get around that? You're right. There's that fear of, you know, I'm going to undercharge or I, I charged a flat fee once and I lost my shirt and they might remember that, <laughs> not the three times right. that they've provided a flat fee and they made extra money. And this is what I think the backbone of what we want to talk about today is how do I set a fee that I know is going to be profitable, that yeah. I know I have confidence in 
that will make me money. It'll be a long, you can make it along your hourly rates in many ways of what you normally charge. Lawyers just don't know how to do that. They've never been taught how to go about creating that fee with a lot of forethought before they just throw out a number. And that's what we at TimeSolve, you know, we have these tools built into our system. It also it doesn't really matter if you use TimeSolve or any other time and billing system, but it's the idea of coming up with a flat fee that you feel confident in. There are tools and a skill to do that that are achievable by every lawyer out there. Right. I think that's so legit. Now let's pause there because we're going to return to this discussion after the break. We're just going to tease how you actually create a profitable flat fee. So we've reached the end of the first part of our show. Let's take that break I talked about and then come back after some words from our sponsors. Do you feel like your marketing efforts aren't getting you the high value cases your firm deserves? For over 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours to attract new cases and to grow their practices. As a Google Premier Partner and winner of Google's Platform Innovator Award, Scorpion has the right resources and technology to aggressively market your law firm and to generate better cases from the internet. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast today. If you're missing calls, appointments, and potential clients, it's time to work with Nexa Professional. More than just an answering service, Nexa's virtual receptionists are available 24-7 to schedule appointments, qualify leads, respond to emails, integrate with your firm's software, and much, much more. Nexa ensures your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 800-267-9371 or visit them at nexa.com forward slash podcast for a very special offer. All right, everybody, thanks for coming back. I've returned from my fact-finding mission. So let's get back to our conversation with Scott Clayson of TimeSolve without an E. We're talking about how to create and manage fixed fees in legal. So Scott, we left off talking about this fear that lawyers have to create flat fees, fixed fees, because they're worried about undercharging. So $20,000 question, or more, I suppose. How do, <laughs> how do you create a fixed fee structure that is actually going to be profitable for a law firm? What it comes down to, Jared, is taking the tenets of what a lot of other industries have been doing for years and applying it to your matter before you do the work. And it's just project planning, project management, something that architecture firms, engineering firms, construction firms have been doing for decades. And the concept is really pretty easy when you stop and think about it. It's just actually applying it and putting it into practice. Say, for example, let's use the example that I'm a family lawyer and I do estate planning. You know, I've been doing it for years. You know, I just kind of have it down. I know everything that has to be done for my client. I do a will preparation. I prepare trust documents and I do whatever the work, that, you know, for probate avoidance when somebody passes away. Well, I just named three phases to my project. Will prep, trust prep, probate avoidance. Okay. Phases and tasks. That's what project management is about. So what I think you need to get in the idea of is lay out all the phases of the work that has to be done to achieve the conclusion that your client wants. Once you have those phases laid out, determine what are the each individual tasks within each phase. For will preparation, I do, there's two things I always do. I always gather family information and I always do an, an asset evaluation. Okay, great. Those are my two tasks, let's say. I'm going to simplify this, obviously, for the sake of our discussion. Once you have those into place, Okay, who at my firm is going to be doing the gathering the family info? And this can go back to that resource allocation, like, you know, 
do I need to do that as the $500 an hour attorney or is it, can that be done by my para? But the point is you assign it then to the people who are going to be actually doing the work and say, it's going to be my para. You assign them that task. Then the next important step is budget their time for that task. How long are you going to give them to do that gathering the family info? Hour and a half, two hours, three hours. And you'll know, you know, just by based on experience, you may not know the very first time out of the gate if you're a brand new lawyer or this is a new area, but you'll figure it out quickly enough. You can do a good estimate. You assign the person to that task. You assign the hours to that person. Then it's just a matter of doing the math. Okay, well, I'm giving them two hours to do that task and she normally charges $150 an hour. Well, that's $300 is going to be going towards that particular task. You do that for the next task, assets information, then into the next phase and so on. Every task you create, put a budget of hours to accomplish that task. Assign it to a person, multiply it by their normal hourly rate, roll it all up. You now have a fixed fee you can charge to your client with confidence that it will be profitable. And here's the key takeaway here. And again, this is nothing new. The US Navy did this back in the 1950s. It's called PERT, Program Evaluation Review Technique. And it's just these charts that was used by the US Navy to manage the creation of weapons and defense projects. It's just taking tasks within a project and coordinating the team members that have to be in place to accomplish that work. Once you have this, I'll talk a little bit later about the expectations of how do you meet the expectations of the client. But one is I could show this plan to my client ahead of time. You don't have to necessarily show them the hours that you've assigned or, or whatever the case may be, but you can show them like, here's everything we're going to do to achieve the outcome that you want. Here's the value that we're providing. It's going to cost you, you know, $4,500, whatever the case may be, as you roll up that whole budget. There's some important parameters around that once you get that budget into place, but that's in essence the way in which lawyers can do this ahead of time before they start to work on the matter. The beauty then is once you do it once, you have a template in place, reuse that template. You don't have to reinvent the wheel every time you have a new matter. You can tweak it and guess what? You're eventually going to get more efficient at it. So that gathering family info that you've rolled up a budget of two hours, you know, $300, 150 times two. Maybe that parent now has gotten so good at it, it only takes her an hour and a half, but you're still able to charge that $300 for that task, if you will, because that you know is a good fixed fee that is acceptable to the consumer. And now you're even getting a higher profit off of that work than previously. That's awesome. I like how you lay that out in such practical fashion. Like that's a good playbook for law firms, especially doing this the first time. Now, some of the stuff you're talking about there, right? Workflows, assigning work to people. Um, technology comes to play a role in that, right? As well as like actually billing out the fixed fee. So can you talk a little bit about the role that technology can play in implementing these practices? Uh, it's hugely important. I mean, you have to make sure, I mean, it's one thing to have a tidy little plan with tasks and time assigned to the associates, but it all becomes kind of a moot point if you can't accurately track against the plan in real time. I mean, it should go without saying that if you're charging a flat fee, you still are going to want to track the hours that you've worked to make sure that it was profitable. You need to make sure that it's tracked in real time as well so you don't have these uh-oh moments. And TimeSolve has this all built into our, our software, but uh, like, I, like I mentioned, it really doesn't matter 
you could use lots of different types of tools out there, project management tools. With TimeSolve, the beauty of it is it's all right built into the billing component of it as well. But you can see, like, for example, if we set out a task and I assign somebody in TimeSolve um, who works for my firm two hours to work on that task and they try to make a time entry of 2.25 hours against that task, they'll either can get a warning saying you've exceeded your budget or you could lock them out completely. They can't make that time entry at all. Then they have to do that walk of shame down the office to whoever the project manager or the responsible attorney and say, I have an issue. Now you have that issue in real time. This is also a great way for, again, to communicate with your client. If an issue does come up, something went over budget in the time allotted, you can have a discussion with your client about it as it's happening rather than just have it be placed on a bill three weeks later and, oh yeah, well, we went over on what I thought it was going to take to do this. So here's your bill. You know, that's not a great way to communicate with your client. Right. The walk of shame. I've done many of those. Um, (laughs) So we've talked about the layout. We've talked about how you set this up. We've talked about the tech. So how does the application of fixed fees within a law firm change outcomes for the firm? I think... Firms, if they're leveraging project management as a way to determine their flat fee, they're finding that they now have a full view of what matters can be more profitable than others. Kind of what I just alluded to when talking about, hey, somebody spent only an hour and a half now on that task that I budgeted two hours for. The rest is that extra half hour is higher profit. So they'll be able to get a clear understanding of like what matters are more profitable to us than perhaps other areas. And they also learn how to allocate the resources better, as I, as I mentioned before. Right. You have the right people in the right seat doing their, in the right role. And that's, again, this is kind of business model type stuff that, you know, talking about making sure you have the right people in the right seat. But you'll be able to, I think, learn more about that if you put into play the idea of managing your matters. Like you're building a building, <laughs> like, you know, you're building a house. It's all about making sure that the electrician isn't showing up three days earlier than they're supposed to. And when the electrician does show up, they're getting everything done in the you know timely fashion that they said they were going to as a subcontractor. Right. Uh, yeah. It should all be a great big symphony, right? I think this has been great advice for law firms. And we're going to take one more show break, and then we're going to turn to what this looks like for consumers. Because law firms and consumers generally have a pretty big disconnect. So I think looking at this from the consumer's perspective, rather, is really important. So let's listen to these words from our sponsors one more time, and then we'll be back. Imagine billing day being the happiest day of the month instead of the day you dread. Nobody went to law school because they love drafting invoices for clients. At TimeSolve, our attorneys save on average over eight hours a month in billing work. That means more billable time and turning billing day into happy day. Learn more about how to get to your time and billing happy place at timesolve.com. That's www.timesolv, leave off the e, dot com. Remember, that's T-I-M-E-S-O-L-V dot com. Your legal work requires your full attention. So how can you build lasting relationships with new or existing clients while juggling your caseload? Try Abby Connect, the friendly, highly trained and motivated live receptionist who are well-known for providing consistent quality customer service and support to law firms just like yours. Every connection matters. So call Abby Connect today at 833-ABBY-WOW to get started with your free 14-day trial and $95 off your first bill. 
All right. Thanks again for staying with us. We've entered phase three of the podcast. We continue to talk with Scott Clayson of TimeSolve, who's been educating us on alternative fees and fixed fees for law firms. So let's find out more. So Scott, we spent a lot of time in this show talking about law firms and how they can implement fixed fees. You alluded to legal consumers before. Can you talk specifically about the issues that legal consumers have paying hourly rates? Because as you mentioned previously, like that's not how they pay for anything anymore in any other industry. Right. I mean, think about contracting legal services, not like getting your car fixed, but think about right. it. When you go to the, when you go to a dealership, right. And you got to drop off your car and you need some work done. They quote you, okay, this is how much it's going to cost. And most times then not only do they tell you that though, they present to you a line item of where all the costs are coming from the parts and the labor. And they can estimate that, you know, to change those brake pads, the pads themselves cost, you know, whatever, $200, the labor is going to be $500 or whatever, because I know it takes my guys, our mechanics take, you know, 1.5 hours, multiply that by what their normal hourly rate might be. And that you can see it all. You can see where the costs are. And, you know, I mean, we've always kind of, we all chuckle at it, but then if something comes up during that work. Then you get the phone call from the dealership saying, yeah, say we were doing the brake pads and we noticed that uh, one of the rotors on the left, right is pretty worn down and probably should be replaced now, maybe later. Do you want to do that? Now you can have that conversation at the time. Same thing with the legal services. If there's, you're, you know, filing patents or whatever, and there's opposition that comes up and all of a sudden it's going to take a lot more work than you realize what you originally quoted in your fixed fee then you have the conversation and talk about, well, you know, I'm not sure you know, it's going to probably take me three hours to deal with this issue. So that's probably going to be an additional $600 of accrued fees. Just so you're aware, do you want to do it? You know, and you have that transparency with your client. I mean, I think about like when my father-in-law passed away about five years ago and I live in Minneapolis. My, my wife's family is from Southern Wisconsin. We didn't know anybody down there anymore. And she was the executor of the estate. We had to, you know, she had to go through all of the things you have to go through to essentially close out an estate. You know, we didn't have a clue. We had that stress that I talked about previously. Like we got to figure out the, the legal process of this. Luckily, we found a lawyer down there who presented just a flat fee. Here's what's going to cost to do the work. Here's every, but he did, he did a great job. He's a great example that I use all the time. He did a great job of explaining, here's all the things that we have to do. And so here's all the work I'll be doing, the filings and so on and so forth. He put our mind at ease. I felt like I was getting value for what we were paying for that. And everybody walked away happy. Right. And we go back to like, well, how do I figure out that right fee from the lawyer point of view? I love having conversations with lawyers when I'm at these legal conferences. And when I find out, when I ask, oftentimes I'll say, like, how do you normally bill? And when I run across lawyers that tell me I usually charge a flat fee, I, my follow-up question is always, how do you calculate your flat fee? How did you come up with the fee that you charge? And <laughs> I've heard answers from like, well, I, one guy told me, I essentially charge what I think I can get away with. <laughs> he, he well, that's, one, that's one answer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's like, he's been in the market like 25 years. He sort of just knows the market. And that's, I just charge what I think I can get away with, <laughs> you know, I mean, no, just, there's zero like value that he's showing. His, his right. Customer. Right. But the beauty of that is that if they listen to the second part of this show, they'll know exactly how to build a fixed fee. <laughs> yeah, exactly, um, exactly. So one of the things I think is interesting from a lawyer and a consumer perspective is when fixed fees are offered by law firms, how does that change the consumer's expectations of what they're getting from the firm? Cause that's a big deal here, right? Right. And I think that's a really good question. So let's, let's talk about expectations because at the end of the day, doesn't every lawyer 
and every law firm want to meet or exceed the expectations of their <laughs> clients. Right. But how do you do this exactly? And to me, there's four main components of meeting or exceeding the expectations for your client and to make them happy because you want them to walk away happy to recommend you and to get you know more referral business and so on. The first step is define those expectations. You know, what am I going to do for you? Making sure that you understand their needs, you share with them the detailed plan of action that we talked about with the phases and tasks and so on. Then you explain the expected costs. Who's doing the work? How long is it going to take? So on and so forth. You, here's where the costs are coming. Here's where things might come up. I'm not sure. This is where, I mean, again, I think, and I know that you're a total advocate of this, that it's not like we don't live in a binary world with charging people. It doesn't have to be just hourly or just fixed fee. There can be right. all sorts of blends together. So that's where you can, that comes into the managing the expectations is the third level is communicate, communicate, communicate. If you're not on track, explain why. If you have to go off track and it has an additional fee, you explain why. I mean, there can be a fixed fee blend and there's all sorts of models out there that we don't have to necessarily talk about. I know you've explained them a lot previously. Yep. Fixed fee plus, um, there's fee shifting, there's, you know, you can do, I think it's called a, like a profit, a budget collar. I mean, there's all sorts of things yep. that you can do. Yep. And then the, the fourth thing is then achieve those expected results. So execute the plan, which is oftentimes the missing link. And you can plan all you want, but if you don't execute it, it's a waste of time. And that goes back to that technology thread we discussed where having a plan on paper or on a spreadsheet in Excel, whatever the case may be, is fantastic. Great first start. But if you don't execute against that plan and really hold your own feet to the fire on that, it's a waste of time. You know, there's an old saying, I can't remember. I looked it up once. I couldn't find who exactly first said this, but it's <laughs> the idea of plan the work, work the plan. Yeah. Technology will help you be able to work the plan and not just plan the work um, to be successful and to create that happy client whose expectations you have met or exceeded. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Like we talked about how this will change outcomes for law firms. Assuming all of what you just talked about comes to fruition, how does that change the outcome for the client? Well, I think just what we were, a lot of what we've talked about for the client themselves, they're going to walk away feeling like they've gotten value for what they paid. And again, that's all we as consumers want at the end of the day is, did I get a fair deal? They also can feel like they were part of the process. They've participated in the work because you shared that plan of action. Our CEO tells a great story that he, when he walked into a lawyer's office that he had to do some legal work with, you know, he sat at the desk across from the guy. The guy had two monitors, one facing the lawyer himself, but the other was turned and facing the person sitting at the desk and facing our CEO. And they ran through together. They walked through like, here's all the things I'm going to be doing to make you to understand that I'm going to meet the expectations that you have. And that's, again, all we want at the end of the day. Right. Absolutely. All right. So I think we've had a good discussion on legal fees, fixed fees, clients. Now let's talk about some real stuff. You were a history teacher at <laughs> I one was. point. I was a high school history teacher for four years. I, I love history. Like I would tell you, if there was more money in it, I would definitely be teaching history rather than probably consulting with lawyers. However, I do enjoy both. What was your specialty in terms of history? Like I know every history teacher has like a concentration. What period of history did you focus on? And then my follow-up question to that is like, who was your favorite historical figure. It's interesting. When I was an undergrad getting my degree in history, I focused and did my thesis on social unrest of the 1960s. 
uh, focused around the Vietnam War. And I actually did a look at black athletes in the 1960s. And talking oh, that's about pretty 19- cool. The 68 Olympics with Tommy Carlos and Tommy Smith. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting the names wrong. Tom, yeah. Carlos and Smith. Carlos I, and Smith. I, I, were they both named Tommy? I can't remember. No, John Carlos and Tommy Smith. That's right, right. Getting, getting right. Anyway, they're the Black Fist salute at the Olympics. Muhammad yes. Ali was another focus of mine. He was a fascinating character in those times, you know, when you look back at the history. But I really fell in love and where history really grabbed me was around the Civil War. I lived oh, outside. Of I love Washington. Civil War history. All right. I'm going to listen I lived quietly. Outside, I lived just outside of Washington, D.C. area when I was a kid. And one of those moments that used to, I don't want to say call it life-changing, but really defined my direction or my love for history was when I was 12, we took a trip up to Gettysburg and toured the battlefield. And, and I have two powerful memories from that day. One is that my older 14-year-old sister was the biggest B word you could ever, you know, uh, ever <laughs> on that trip. To this day, our family talks about what, how crabby she was that day. I hope you, I hope you send the link to this podcast to her. <laughs> right, right. And, and then, but the second was just falling in love with the, everything revolved around the history and really kind of absorbing everything that happened at that, at that battlefield. So when I was a teacher, my first two years I focused, I was an American history teacher in world history. And then my last two years, they had me doing government, psychology, and economics as well. Because, you know, social studies isn't just history, right? And so I have my license and everything. But I, I really, I love everything around Civil War history. It's just fascinating. I love, you know, I wish when I lived out in the Maryland area, I'd gotten to more battlefields during that time when I was a kid. But that's my right. regret. Right. I have to say, like, when I was a kid, we went on one vacation that I remember to Gettysburg. And I think I would have been more excited about it if we had thrown in like a Disney World trip here and there. (laughs) Um, Going back now, however, I would be really fascinated by that. Great pick, by the way. Kudos to you, sir. I tell you, and I knew when I, I knew with my wife that I met the right person. We had just started dating. And I was I was out in the Philly area for something else, and she met me out there. And we drove out to Gettysburg, and took like stayed at a bed and breakfast, and spent like two days bicycling around the the battlefield. Oh. And she was just as into it as I was. I mean, like just, and I'm like, this is the woman for me. <laughs> like she that's, was right on point with me. That's pretty hardcore. My wife, who again I love dearly, is not as into. Civil War history, and will frequently walk by me and say, "Are you watching another stupid documentary?" <laughs> <laughs> to which I say, "Yes, I am." <laughs> Hell, yes, I am. <laughs> this is a podcast about implementing fixed fees in law practice, and we've been talking with Scott Clayson of TimeSolve. That's TimeSolve without the e. Now, I'll be back on future shows with further insights into my soul, the soul of America, and the legal market. If you're feeling nostalgic for my dulcet tones, however. You can check out our entire show archive anytime you want at LegalTalkNetwork.com. So again, it's been Scott Clayson of TimeSolve, who's been our guest today. And thanks, Scott, for making an appearance. No, it's been a blast, I appreciate it. And I should say, TimeSolve is also a sponsor of this podcast. So let me thank you directly for that as well. Without our sponsors, there would be no show, and I would have nothing to do for this hour. Scott, can you tell everybody how they can find out more about you and also about TimeSolve? Yeah, TimeSolve, we're web-based software, time and billing, project management, obviously. We've been around for for 20 years now as that web-based entity. You can find us at timesolve.com without the E. Start a 30-day free trial with our software. You can spend get a whole month to kick the tires and make sure it's going to be the right time and billing solution for you. 
As far as me, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter at Scott J. Clayson, although you'll be warned that you'll mostly just see like soccer tweets from me. Good. Uh, more than anything else. I'm not as socially media active as others. So that's just the way I tend to live, I guess. Check this man out. Look at his stuff. Learn more about the Vicksburg campaign, etc. <laughs> Grant was a genius there. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> For more Civil War talk, reach out to Scott Clayson of TimeSolve. so thanks again Scott for coming on it's been a real treat and finally thanks to all of you out there for listening this has been the Legal Toolkit Podcast where it's always on like Donkey Kong thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network join host Jared Correa for his next podcast covering the current business trends for law firms if you'd like more information about today's show please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.